Hey, I'm Steve Full, and thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for graphic designer Amber AC. My work-life balance is completely non-existent. I have no balance in my life right now. And I'm probably the worst example of a good, stable freelance life. It feels like it's a good time to be a freelancer. There's a lot of freelancers out there and so many people are willing to share those resources. I don't think I would have made a very good freelancer like five years ago. It was a completely different landscape five years ago. Yes, there's Amber who comes up in a moment. Let's uh, let me just say hello though. How are you? You having a good week? I hope so. We've got lots going on this year. It's been a busy year already. So doing some talks, some speaking stuff coming up. Doing a talk on work-life balance. Doing a talk on how freelancers can use video, and also doing the podcast live at an event. You can find all the details at beingfreelance.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, details will go in there. The vlog continues apace as well, where I document my freelance week. Around 50 episodes or so now, which is crazy. Uh, go to beingfreelance.com or, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Steve Folland. But, you know, frankly, it's easier to follow the links, isn't it? The amount of trouble I've had in my life spelling Folland. In fact, in fact, there's a recent episode, I think it's episode 48, where you see how badly somebody spells Folland. You wouldn't think it was that hard, but trust me, after nearly 39 years of having it attached to my name, it turns out it is. So, yes, go take a look, um, beingfreelance.com and also the vlog as well. Anyway. For now, let's crack on and go to the States and say hello to Amber AC. Hey, Amber. Hi. Hello. Whereabouts are you based, actually? I'm in Los Angeles in California. Very nice. <laughs> so how about, as ever, we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah. I graduated school or college in 2012 so fairly recently, but I went from agency to agency after that. And I, I just wasn't really getting the feel for the agency life or the studio life. I think my biggest problems with it was I was always a couple of people away from the client. And so I wanted to be a problem solver and wanted to be able to speak directly to the client. And I just, it felt like I was always two people away and couldn't really uh, interact directly with them or uh, find solutions for them in that sense. And another thing that I had found along the way too was that the work that I was doing there, I could never really claim as my own. It was always the agency's work. It was a work for hire situation. And so there were situations when I couldn't actually put any of that work up on my portfolio or kind of share it with the world that I worked on that project. And that got frustrating for me. So all of that over the last five or six years led me to freelance and to be able to be my own boss. And I, I actually tried freelance out uh, for a little bit three years ago and completely failed at it. I <laughs> was trying it out for three months and it was actually because I got fired. So I had no choice but to go to freelance because I couldn't find a job after that. And so that experience scared me so much to do freelance again. I had just so many fears going into it, thinking that I'll fail, that I won't be able to find work. 
And so now here I am new to the full-time freelance world as of six months ago. I'm pretty fresh, but I worked my way into this this time and worked up my clientele, built up more of a portfolio for myself and have succeeded so far as of six months for the last six months. So, uh, so it seems to be working. How did you build up your portfolio ahead of going freelance this time? Were you doing it on the side whilst working or? Yeah. So I had a good eight months. Uh, it was at the beginning of 2017. It was my goal. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work freelance as much as I can on the side of my full-time job. So I would get home at about 6, 30, 7 o'clock and sit right back at my computer and work another five or six hours that night on freelance. And I got to a point where I was doubling my income. I made sure that what I was making at my full-time job was the same amount as what I was making on the side with my freelance. And so once I got to that point, and sometimes I was making more uh, with my freelance jobs. And so that helped me to see that I could make it happen, make it work uh, if I were to just survive on my freelance income alone. Wow. That is some, yeah, some length to go to. How did it feel during that period? It felt great. I mean, it was overwhelming and I was tired a lot, but I knew there was an end in sight and I knew that I was working towards this goal and I wanted it so badly that I, I pushed through it all and I felt on fire. Like once I realized I could make it work after seeing that I had failed three years ago, uh, I think that helped me see my potential as a freelancer and see that I can make it work. Awesome. Good for you. So let's go back to that sort of period three years ago when when you tried it. What didn't work out for you that time? I think, well, it was one of those things where someone just kind of pushed me off a cliff (laughs) and expected me to be able to fly or uh, (laughs) make it on my own. And so I think it was that uh, situation where I got fired and suddenly I was scrambling to find work and to find freelance jobs. I didn't have any clients. I didn't have much of a name for myself, I guess you could say, uh, like through social media either, which I think is a a huge part of freelance life is being able to kind of have a reputation for yourself or, or build up your own name. And so in that sense too, I don't think anyone really knew I was freelancing. I hadn't really announced it. I had maybe two clients when I was when it failed and was working on like two maybe three projects and I didn't do a really good job of promoting myself, marketing myself, uh doing any cold calls or anything like that and so I just it, I was really stupid and very green and I just kind of expected work to come to me and it didn't <laughs> and I just ran out of work and yeah, completely failed. And so then when you were back in full-time employment, did you then start to work on some of those things? Like, I mean, obviously, ultimately, you went and got work on the side, but were you building up your brand, as it were, on the side then? Yeah, I think the good thing about the new job that I got was that it was at a studio that um, I think shared same interests with me as far as 
aesthetics and the kind of a designer I wanted to be. And so I was able to build up my portfolio there too and uh, do the work that I had been doing on the side or had been wanting to do. And at the agencies that I was at, I was doing a lot of corporate stuff, stuff that's not in my portfolio that people have never seen before because it was stuff that I was never proud of and never happy with. And it wasn't the designer I wanted to be. And so in a sense, the new job that I got, it helped me get to where I am now. And I also, as soon as I got that job, I wasn't really focusing on freelance at that time because I, it just, since I had failed at it, I felt like it wasn't the route for me at that time. And so I focused a lot on that new job and put a good year or two into it as far as putting my portfolio together, really focusing on um, doing what I wanted to do, being really passionate about the work. And then it was while I was there that I got the idea of going back to freelance and trying that out. Yeah, it's really good to hear. So then when you were marketing yourself for your first clients, you know, as you were doing them on the side, how did you get those clients? Well, one big help is designer friends. I have several friends that send referrals my way who get more inquiries than I do and still help me out today. So I think once I got those mentors or those other friends who knew I was looking for work, then I think those relationships really helped me. And they knew that I was a good reference to send work to and that that would make them still look good and that I was reliable and that I was basically at their level of design too. And so I think that helped a ton. And then I think having my portfolio up too, and also posting my work on social media, whether it's Dribbble or whether it's Instagram, um, I think putting it out there and letting the world see it had really helped me get more projects as well because they saw my work. They knew what kind of a designer I was. And, you know, sometimes when people are looking for that, for a specific kind of look or style, they'll look they'll go to that designer specifically for that style. And so, so there's that. And then I think there's kind of this snowball effect that happened where some of the clients that I was working with um, either gave me more work or they sent my name to their friends and got me more work. And so it just, it snowballed into now where I have um, a good flow of inquiries and of um, existing work and, and I would say that has all been from like a good year and a half in the making. When you were doing all of that extra work on the side of a full-time job, the five or six hours at night, how did you manage your workload? Like, did you ever say no to projects or were you just taking everything on possible? And how did you deal with that? Because it can be tempting, I guess, just to take everything. Yeah, I was taking everything and it's because... I wasn't getting that many inquiries. So the ones that I was getting, it, I was saying yes to everything, anything and everything. And I mean, I had to like do quick emails during the day at my full-time job just to make sure that they knew that I was alive and that I was, you know, it was on my radar or I was working on things. And then when I would go at night, I didn't, I didn't really have a way of managing my time or my schedule. I was just kind of doing what was coming my way. So it was, 
sometimes like fast work or I'd be working at two in the morning to get stuff done. And yeah, it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> like, you know, everybody sort of talks about work-life balance. Uh, and clearly at that point, you've chosen to put the balance in, in favor of the work. Yeah. How have you moved forward from that since going full-time freelance? Uh, I don't think I have, to be honest. My work-life balance is completely non-existent. I have no balance in my life right now. <laughs> and I'm probably the worst example of a good, stable freelance life. And I think it's because I'm new and I'm kind of acknowledging that, that it won't always be this way. I'm going to get to a better place and I'm hopeful about that. And I have goals to get there too. But right now, work is kind of my life. And some days I'm putting in a 12 hour day just working at home. I work from home too. And so I want to find new ways of doing things, maybe try out coffee shops or um, co working spaces or things like that just to kind of break away from my house. But, but yeah, right now I've like my entire life is kind of devoted to work. And I think it's just because I'm trying to um, get to the point where I can be working months in advance where I'm booking clients in two months from now or three months from now and not having to worry about where my next paycheck is going to come from. So I'm kind of in that place right now where I'm working and getting paid within this month, but I want to be able to think ahead and look ahead. And then I think that's when I'll have a little more balance. Mm. How have you coped with the, the business side of things? The business side, I would say that's been very hard for me to figure out. And the way that I figured it out is basically talking to other designers, making friends with local designers, especially freelancers. Um, I'm part of a Facebook group where it's all female freelancers and everyone just shoots answers out there and, um, and ask questions. And it's really helpful because some people are just made for the business side and are very organized and have their system down. They've got their contracts together. They've got every scenario worked out. And it's fun to be able to see other people's questions come in and see where they ask um, things that I've never thought about before or things you have to put in your contract that I never thought about before, like kill fees or or I think pause fees, or, you know, there's all these scenarios out there that you kind of learn as you go. Yeah, I would say on the business side, um, I think I'm still learning, and I'm still learning how to manage that. I think one thing that I've learned, uh, because I'm a freelancer, it's so easy to just hide by, behind my computer all the time. But I've learned that it's better to get on the phone with uh, potential clients and talk through your process and talk through your background as a designer and your goals for each and every project. And when you talk through those things, you are suddenly a real person to that person. And you're not just someone behind a computer or just a name and an email. And I think that in that case, they become more likely to invest in your process and invest in you and the project. And so so yeah, I think breaking down the digital world and really trying to have as much real-time interaction as possible is kind of the business side that I see of just being a good business person and, and fostering those relationships. 
Yeah, that's great. And uh, you mentioned the Facebook community and those relationships. Have any of those been taken offline? Yeah, I think that community, I think having a design community locally is so important. And I I was doing that while I was making that transition of I'm working full time and I'm doing freelance on the side. And, you know, I want your advice or your input. So I was kind of going to local events and um, to some of these little meetups. And sometimes I would try to to instigate them or to say, Hey, let's all meet up or, or even when it's just a one-on-one, I love doing that too, where, um, I reach out to a designer that I've heard of, or I know that's in the LA area and I'll say, Hey, do you want to go grab coffee sometime? And, and I think doing that helps to be able to, um, to talk more about your processes together and to, um, share insights and advice and, those have been really crucial in helping me figure out the freelance world and being able to figure out what I could do better, what other people are doing. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you can't just sit there and try to figure it out on all on your own, especially when you're a designer. I feel like my strengths are definitely in the visual aspect of it all and in design, but I'm, I never have been very good at the business side. And so I kind of lean on other people and what they're doing best and try to pull that into what I do. That's so cool, isn't it? It's like you're, um, you're supercharging your freelance career by like condensing years and years of learning into this period. Yeah, exactly. And I think nowadays it, it feels like it's a good time to be a freelancer because there's a lot of freelancers out there and a lot of us have figured it out. And then, and so many people are willing to share those resources that it's really valuable. I don't think I would have made a very good freelancer like five years ago. And that's not very long ago, but it's true there. It was a completely different landscape five years ago. You mentioned wanting to or get closer to the client, really, from when you were in the agency. And the fact you know, you've already just referenced it about, you know, getting on the phone to them and being a person. Have you learned anything else from from dealing with clients? Yeah, um, actually, at my last job, I learned about a lot of what not to do with clients. Um, because I think my boss at my last job wasn't very good at fostering those relationships and would lose clients and what they would leave and wouldn't recommend um, that studio anymore or wouldn't like it was definitely a learning period for me to see what not to do. And I think sometimes with clients, they're smarter than we think they are. You know, they're going to figure out if you're lying to them or if you're like BSing them on, on this or that. Um, they'll figure those things out. You have to treat them like real people or like how you would want to be treated. And then also um, being flexible. I think that's really important and showing that to uh, your client as well, that you're flexible, that you're willing to um, do this for them or that for them, or if they need to cut up their payments in a different way, um, showing that you're flexible on that or or flexible on time if, if they need it something faster or slower. Uh, so I think being a real person and, um, and kind of being their friend, it, it helps build a trust there. And the moment that they trust you is when they're going to trust you as a designer too. 
They'll trust the moves that you want to make, your suggestions, and all of that. And I think it all just pays in the long run. Yeah. As ever, with all of our guests, if you go to beingfreelance.com, you can click through and see what Amber is up to, be it on Instagram or Dribble or on the, on her website itself, which is great. Um, and one of the things that jumps out on your website is the first great bit of copy where Amber is an award-winning graphic designer. And then later on, it's like accolades and there's list after list. And I'm guessing like some of those might be from when you were studying or whatever. But how important has entering competitions and things like that been been for you? I think it's been important. I have a love-hate relationship with them, to be honest, because <laughs> sometimes it feels like it, the competitions are built for agencies. And I have entered competitions where it was just agency after agency that won. And like we're talking big, like 100-plus employee agencies. And it's like, well, of course they want it. Everybody knows them. and And sometimes they aren't built for small businesses or individuals. And so that's the part that I don't like about competitions is it kind of feels biased or um, political in that sense. But I think there's another side to it where people are wanting to just show good work out there. And whether it's a big agency that's been around for decades or whether it's a single person. And so those are the ones that I really value or kind of pull to. And and so even if they're not competitions and they're just blogs that post about designers or or even Instagrams now for the last couple of years, there's been a lot of Instagram accounts that just repost designers' work. And I think sometimes that can be valuable too because then you're out there, you're known, and people recognize your work and then maybe you're more likely to win a competition or uh, get a little more exposure. And so... So I think in any way that you can, whether it's a competition or just like publicity, I guess you could say, uh, any way that you can, I think both of them are beneficial for a designer to just get some of that exposure. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, putting yourself out there. And another thing as well that jumped out from your website was when it links through to Variety Show, I think it was. Oh, yeah. So t <laughs> tell me about that, because... When I click through, it will say, we are a husband and wife team located in Southern California. So yeah, what's Variety Show? That was one of my side projects that I worked on when I failed as a freelancer. <laughs> I, I actually had started this online shop back in 2014 um, with my husband. He's an illustrator and we both met in art classes and he and I thought about selling art prints online and... I think maybe it was more my ambition or my idea than his, but um, he was willing to go with it and, you know, participate in everything. And then especially when I lost my job, I kind of went like full force into variety show and I sold at uh, a couple of local craft sh shows here in LA, like the Renegade Craft Fair or things like that. And it was kind of a fun little like exploratory period, I guess you could say, to kind of try that out. I think at that time in my life, I was so sick of agency work and not being able to express myself as a designer and the things that I wanted to do that I wanted to have kind of an outlet to be able to design what I wanted to do. And I think that was my first step into where I am now, where I was really trying to let other people see what my style is and something that wasn't corporate and something that was a little more minimalistic or a little more playful. And 
I, um, I mean, it was kind of a good run, but it's kind of dead now. And I've thought about bringing it back at times, but right now, since I have so much freelance going on, it just doesn't seem like it's feasible for me to start it up again. I mean, who knows, maybe it will, but everything on that site is like 50% off just because it's products that's just taking up space in my office right now. So it's one of those things where I just like, oh, I should just get rid of some of these prints and move on with my life. Oh, that, so, but they're great. Oh, okay. Everybody go, go take a look 50% off. <laughs> and not only will you get something nice in your house, but Amber gets a bit of a floor back. They're really nice. It was an interesting thing in what you just said though, is the fact that yeah, okay, it was a shop and a potential place of revenue, but it was also a place for you to show the kind of work you wanted to be known for, like yeah, a different side of you. Yeah, I think it was like I think it was a good stepping point in my in my career basically too. And I think it was also valuable to see how hard it is to run a shop and sometimes I share some of those insights with potential clients or people that I've um, talk to about how much work it takes and, and like being able to know some of the insights of what, um, wholesale looks like and how, how you should price your products compared to how much it costs you to make them. And, um, and I think it was good, a good little learning period for me to kind of dive into that world for a moment. Do you have other side projects beyond that? Um, I'm working on one now. It's uh, with a couple of other girls. We're working on starting up a magazine, which is really funny too, because I think it's another one of those things like a shop where it may or may not even be profitable. It'd be more of like a hobby than anything, but we want to start a magazine together and it's going to be a magazine called Big Sister. It's kind of a women's magazine that'll be quarterly and it'll kind of be uh, like a women supporting women magazine. So whether it's hypothetically your big sister sharing advice with you, or it really is a letter to your younger sister, it'll kind of involve those topics. That's so cool. A massive side project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's very slow right now. And it's very much a side project because all three of us have other jobs and do other things we kind of check in here or there every week and just get a little bit done at a time. So we'll see how it goes. Interesting. Yeah. And you've spoken quite a bit about, you know, social media. Instagram seems pretty big for you. Yeah, that and Dribble. I really like Dribble because there's a huge online community there of designers and illustrators and creatives. And so I've loved being able to talk to them. And I don't know, once when you become involved in those communities, whether it's Instagram or Dribbble, um, you can't just like post your work and then walk away. I think it's very valuable to go on and to like talk to people and then they'll notice that you've talked to them and they'll talk back to you and comment on your work as well. And um, you can bounce ideas off of each other or ask for advice on there. And I think starting those conversations helps again, break down those digital barriers and makes you a real person who's still figuring things out. And so, so yeah, I think being part of those communities is extremely important. And have any of your clients 
either come through there or commented, for example, on your Instagram stories or something. Do clients come through Dribble as well? Yeah, they do. They have a hire me button that you can click to kind of send someone an inquiry. So I think a couple of years ago, I used to get those a lot more than I do now. And it's not because I don't post as much. In fact, my following has grown over the last couple of years. So I don't know why it's died in a sense, as far as inquiries go through Dribble. Um, but I actually just got one today. So I'm like, oh, good. It's still living or it's still thriving. So sometimes clients know about Dribble and they'll go there and search Los Angeles designer and then I'll show up in that search or they can search for packaging designer or beauty product designer or something. And then sometimes I think I'll show up in those searches as well. So people can go on there and it is a really good search system that they have there. And you can look through work and see what kind of work you like or what kind of a designer you're looking for and then reach out to them. So yeah, I've actually gotten several inquiries and have gotten some clients through Dribble. Instagram, not as much, but I think Instagram right now serves as a good website backup. So sometimes people won't look at my website and they'll find me on Dribble first and get a sense of my work. And if someone is had already heard about me and they go and look at my Instagram, I think it just solidifies or kind of helps them to reach out to me or make the next step because they've seen my work on Instagram. So I think it's, it's kind of a good backup right now. I don't know. I'm not getting as many inquiries through Instagram, but it's good to have. Because I was following you on Instagram and what I would liked about you or noticed about your stories occasionally was the fact that I know you might talk about your love of paper, for example, came across. <laughs> and not to mention, of course, your piano playing cat. Uh, oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's that kind of that human side. But, you know, like you're looking at the work. Mm -hmm. OK, I'm not a client, but I'm going through the same things that clients might where I'm looking at your work on your website or on Dribble, But then on Instagram, I get something more from that. And yet so much of it was still about the passion of design or a design show that you were at or something like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I it, it's true. It kind of helps you like get a peek into my personality and and my life and everything more than a website where it's just like a quick little about and a picture <laughs> and that's it. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? <laughs> okay. I'm just, I feel like you're probably a pro at this now because you've done so many. <laughs> But I'm going to try my best. <laughs> so my three facts about me are, um, first, my husband and I, we got arrested in Copenhagen. <laughs> Number two, I was on a TV show. And number three, I competed in a preliminary Miss America pageant. Wow, good facts. <laughs> What on earth were you, the two of you got arrested for what? <laughs> I think it was, we were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. We wanted to explore Christiania. And yeah, I think it just kind of turned into a sticky situation that we were able to get out of, but still made for an interesting trip. Were the, were the, yeah, were the people who arrested you, like, could they, could they speak English? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People in Denmark 
I mean, they're really good at English, to be honest. So okay, that and we also hit up Stockholm. So it was that area of the world that I mean, English is like a solid second language. What TV show were you on? Not not like it wasn't like America's Greatest Fugitives live from Denmark. <laughs> uh, it was called The Sing Off. I was part of an acapella group in college. It was back in 2009, and we were. Uh, it, it was part of the first season, actually, of the Sing Off. It was an NBC show. Uh, what was the name of your acapella group? We were called Noteworthy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were you were in Miss America, or, or what was it? The first pageant of it was a preliminary pageant, so I didn't make it to Miss America, but. It was when I was in high school, a senior in high school, because they have a 25, you have to be 25 or younger limit on it, which now seems extremely young. But it was way back when I was in high school and um, it was just at a local level. So basically my small kind of city level. And then you go up to Miss California after that, which I didn't do, but I got the talent award for singing, so I got a little bit of scholarship money from it. Oh man, you're very good. you're either very good at lying, or those <laughs> last two are definitely true. The last, <laughs> the sing off of Miss America seemed totally true. <laughs> I don't know why you would make up being arrested in Copenhagen, but I'm going to say that's a lie. That was a lie. You yes! got it. <laughs> We were, we did go to Copenhagen and we did go to Christiania. I just thought it would be a funny story to be able to say that. I mean, when I was thinking of these two, I was like, my life isn't very interesting. Like I haven't, I'm not much of a rebel and I haven't done very many like, you know, out there things. And so I was like, I mean, I I do fun things, but I've never like really gotten into trouble. So I was like, I really want to add this to my story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Excellent. Well, I'm I'm so glad that Noteworthy did exist, though. That's that's nice to know, at least. Yeah, it was. I like to think it was the inspiration for Pitch Perfect and the Bellas. (laughs) the group because we were an all-female group there was nine of us and we were the first ones to be part of that and the music director of that tv show went on to be the music director for pitch perfect too so it was all part of the same world and when it came out we were like that's us that's that's noteworthy (laughs) so oh my god or any other any other female acapella group out there but yeah (laughs) um now if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance what would that be oh um that is a good question I guess I don't know if you can tell your younger self this but I kind of wish I got into it sooner because I love it so much and I think I'm just living on a high right now of being a freelancer and of of basically having this freedom and having this control over my projects and all of that. And so uh, I think I would have told myself, get into it now and, and don't delay if you really want to do it and basically, you know, start reaching out to people and, and all of that. I mean, when I failed initially, I kind of wish I told myself to be smarter about it and to uh, work on, side projects. Uh, I mean, I was working on variety show, but I think putting more fake 
branding projects out there or fake packaging projects out there uh, is a really good way to kind of step away from agency world and become the designer that you want to be. So yeah, I guess I would say that. This was such a weird coincidence. So I'd like seen your work and we'd arranged this chat. And then a little while later, a previous guest was in she's like a blogger and a copywriter and she was on one of her stories she was chatting about her new product which she just got from letterfolk and i was like i've not heard of that oh. and i was yeah so i was went through to their website and i was checking oh, I was going, oh this is very nice yeah then suddenly i thought i'm sure i've seen this before though and then yeah of course you designed their logo yeah yeah actually a funny backstory now that we've talked about it Letterfolk was one of the only uh, clients that I had during my failure point as a freelancer. They were like one of two or three clients when I was like stri- like struggling to make freelance work. So, it, and then it turned into more work after that. When I was getting more into freelance, I uh, they were kind of a repeat client for me. How cool is that? Oh, well, that's got to give you the confidence, hasn't it? Amber, thank you so much. Uh, go to beingfreelance.com, check out what Amber's up to, her work, and of course her various social links will be in there as well so you can reach out and say hi if you've enjoyed this and check out her various things that she's got going on. And of course the Instagram stories for the cat as well, <laughs> who goes for um, – our cat looks remarkably the same and uh, and the kids are now obsessed with trying to get it to play the piano. So it's all all down to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. And while you're there signing up for that, sign up for the newsletter as well, beingfreelance.com. But Amber, thank you so much and good luck with it all. All the best, Being Freelance. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been great chatting with you. 